Ladies and gentlemen and freedom fighters all over the world, you are tuned into the one and the only A Difference in Thought. I'm your host, Charlie Ray, and here at A Difference in Thought, A Difference in Thought engages and processes current events, culture, philosophy, public policy, and faith through the ancient art of truth-telling. Join the conversation and gain an alternative perspective with A Difference in Thought. Uh, This podcast is an honor and homage of the work and mission of the great Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And our core philosophy here is, is that basic arithmetic teaches us that there can be no difference without subtraction, which means before you look to see a difference in the world, consider where you are willing to make a subtraction. Now, when we talk about subtractions, uh, you are tuned in to season two, episode four, entitled... Navy chill. This ain't it, fam. Consequences of the Coliseum. Now, if y'all talking about, man, Coliseum, what in the world are y'all talking about? Now, as I stated, we are also a podcast dedicated to public policy. If you're wondering, Charlie Ray, where in the world have you been all this time? Well, I have been diligently studying and organizing and raising awareness around a development uh, proposal called Navy Hill, and we'll get into the history of that uh, later, that will affect the economy of the city of Richmond, Virginia, for the next 30 years. We're talking about three decades. We're talking about when I'm 62 years old. If your child is 11 uh, years old right now, we're talking about what's going to happen until your child is 41. We're talking about the economy of an entire generation. And you would think when we're talking about something that's going to be tying up the city for that long, that we would do our due diligence. So Navy Hill, what are we talking about? Navy Hill was a neighborhood, a family, uh, uh, at one point, a black neighborhood in the history of Richmond, uh, famed people such as John Mitchell Jr., and uh, Maggie Walker also went to the school that was there at Navy Hill. So it was a, it was a place that um, educated and produced uh, black excellence. Um, and due to uh, developments of the future, or what some would call urban renewal, similar to how 95 was run through Jackson Ward for, uh, and, and just destroyed that great economic uh, uh, foundation that Maggie Walker built. Urban Renewal also was the end of Navy Hill and this black neighborhood and the displacement that followed. And in recent times, back in 1971, is where the Richmond Coliseum was built on top of that legacy. Um, and now today, we have people such as the Navy Hill District Corp, the ominous, mysterious, and we'll kind of kind of pull the uh, veil behind on who was NH District Corp, what has their history been in this city, and because now these corporate giants such as Dominion, Altria, SunTrust, um, Bill Goodwin, uh, people around me did like the Jefferson and things like that, have come together and want to honor the heritage of this black neighborhood, Navy Hill. Uh, in what sounds like another urban renewal project. So are we fixing urban renewal with urban renewal? What in the world? Urban renewal. What are we talking about? We'll get into all that. But right now, this is going to affect the economic uh, uh, impact and structure for the next 30 years of the city of Richmond because this is financed by something called tax increment financing, which pretty much freezes the... Uh, level of property tax that a city makes and says, how much does it cost to run the city today? Okay, well, it costs, let's just say, $5 to run the city. Well, you will be frozen at that level of taxes you can collect to fund things such as schools, police, public infrastructure, and say for the next 30 years, all you can do is collect $5. But if you get into inflation and as things become more expensive, uh, and any other increment above that that produces property tax that is supposed to be developed by this uh, or caused by this tax increment financed funded project, uh, then 
those increments would go back towards paying whatever that project is. So your project is based around a arena or a coliseum or whatever it is, whatever revenue and development that happens within that area then is captured by that. And so we're going to get into that and we're going to break that down too. Because some, I, I've been organized, so I've talked with Mayor Stoney, his chief of staff, uh, the director of economic development, uh, the lawyers from this project, uh, the um, uh, fiscal analyst that's supposed to be handled by the city. And we've seen these concerns and I've been raising the concerns about what's been going on in other cities uh, with his tax increment financing. Uh, I've had some concerns about the people that are at the table. I've had concerns with the process and uh, what this is also linked to and other fights in the city. And so I just wanted to dedicate uh, one, one to update you all on what I've been up to. And then also, what in the world is Navy Hill? Why should you care about it? And what in the world does it have to do with me? So before we get into all of the high level things, I remember I was doing a presentation with uh, for this at uh, uh, the company where um, the president of city council works. And so we were kind of uh, giving this presentation. There was a brother in there who said, hey, brother. I don't know what in the world you're talking about. <laughs> it was one of those uh, one of those humbling moments where you have to say, like, okay, well, you know, I can go away and talk about longitudinal studies and all those other types of things. So for the everyday uh, Joe on the street who uh, wants to know, man, what in the world does it have to do with me? Why should I care about this? Uh, let's imagine it this way, okay? So little story time, right? Won't you be my neighbor taking off the cardigan? Okay, so to bring it down to the levels that we can understand, let's imagine the scenario. So imagine you were living with three roommates and you split the rent and utilities on a three-year lease, right? So it's four of y'all because you got three roommates, all right? You and then three other people, all right? Now, let's say that one of your roommates comes home and announces that their employer gave them a once in a lifetime opportunity to triple their pay. Sounds pretty good, right? So your roommate explains that their employer stated that they would pay your roommate triple their pay in three years if your roommate offers a portion of their paycheck each week to help an early investor in this company's newest endeavor. (laughs) Smelling like a hustle. So. What are you talking about, man? So the problem promise is that the return on investment would be so strong that your roommate's pay would reflect the increase, but the funds would be reserved by the company for the full three years for the investment. Your roommate also announces that they already signed the agreement. So after doing the math, you're like, yo, how much is this going to cost each month, man? He's like, I don't know, man. I'm finna triple my pay. Don't worry about that. We finna be balling. I'm going to hit you back when I got it. All right? So you're not as excited. So you say, after doing the math, you recognize that his job will be taking an extra $150 from his pay each month to invest in the new startup. Your roommate states, after seeing the numbers, that, oh, okay, well, the only catch is that well, I guess I'll be $150 short on a rent each month in order to take advantage of this opportunity because I ain't really crunching numbers like that. But, you know, on my animal, he was already on a shoestring budget. So they say, yeah, I'll but I'll share the wealth with you in three years. When it comes back, I got you. In lamest terms, this means that thanks to the risk of the fourth member of this lease, the other three roommates now have to pay an extra $50 a month in rent to make up the difference. So after four months, your landlord sends you a letter about renewing your lease. It says due to the increase in your roommate's annual income, the four of you no longer qualify for the affordable housing unit in the development. Because you have to remember, they're taking a portion of their check, but they're still having your roommate report it. So even though that money's not in, you know, not something that y'all see every month, he still is technically making that money, but he's just volunteering that money to this new investment endeavor but the landlord comes up and says hey fam but um how you qualify for affordable housing is the combined annual income of everybody in there so he hits you up and says uh uh sorry they hit you up and say oh the four of you no longer qualify for affordable housing unit development and in order to uh renew uh you will have to continue renting at the market rate 
You try to explain to your landlord that though there's a numeric increase in your roommate's annual salary, that they actually only take home a portion that's actually lower than what they made last year. Landlord's like, I understand you, but them bills don't. So the landlord, though, understands and states that it is not their responsibility that your roommate did not research all the implications of this deal that he signed. So they inform you that, you know, the four, you and him and the four other tenants who have taken such deals from this corporation. Uh, so he says, like, yo, I got four other tenants that have taken this deal from the corporations and says, you know, I couldn't afford to help you even if I wanted to because I got four other people that suddenly $150 short. Um, and so here's the thing. You can't get out of your lease. You already signed it. And now the market rate is $210 more expensive than the affordable rate in your apartment. So combine that with the 150 because roommate came back and said, oh, well, you know, I didn't really crunch the numbers like that. So what that means is I'm going to be 150 short every month. Now, because of his annual income going up, now you don't qualify for the affordable rate. So, you know, you take that 150 and that 210 and now your rent has effectively increased $360. Now, instead of paying 50 extra a month between the three of y'all to make up for this numbskull, you each now have to pay an extra $120 a month for the next 30 months due to your roommate's decision. Now, over those 30 months, one of your roommates who used to send money home to their parents is unable to do that because he has to make up because that $120 a month is stuff he used to send to his parents' house, right? Y'all sitting up there instead of having Netflix and Hulu, it's Netflix or Hulu because out of that $120, yeah, hey, something got to get cut or somebody got to make some more money, right? And so the personal budgets have all been drastically altered except for the roommate who made this deal. Because they forsook their financial obligation to you all for an experiment. And though you all have to pay for the increase reflected in their pay, you may see the benefit. You may not. I mean, he said he'll hit you up, but he, yeah, he may not. So, finally, end of the lease. Y'all been hustling. I want y'all to imagine. Y'all been hustling for years. Cutting here, not going out as much. You know what I mean? The wardrobe ain't as fly as it used to be. You know, you... you Wanted to get the new iPhone, had to wait next year. So now everybody got the three camera iPhone. You got the two camera iPhone because homeboy over here is over here not bringing back, you know, spending his money on this whatever promise or this investment. So 30 grueling months go by and your roommate announces that the investment fund at his job didn't perform as well as planned and that, you know, the reserve funds removed from his paycheck only amounted to about half of the amount he expected. And so they apologize and say, you know, due to the change in performance, they're not going to be able to hit you back with all that money they was talking about three years ago. And at the end of your roommate's experiment, you and the other roommates are left having spent more than you actually gained while your roommate's corporation got to experiment with your money for profit only they will experience. So, your roommate had a financial obligation to you. That money is supposed to go to you. He got caught up in the whirlwind for what this great thing was going to be. So, he took your money and took it to this corporation. So, the corporation got their money. They actually got your share of the mo- uh, your roommate's money. Your roommate had y'all paying for whatever was supposed to go with y'all. But y'all, we the listeners... Had to come up with extra, but we didn't get to see extra. Huh? Can I get an amen? And so now, imagine this, right? So, when people ask us, what in the world, man, Charlie Ray, why are you mad about this Coliseum? Don't you love jobs? Don't you love opportunity, man? You see, the, you got a black mayor behind this, man. Why can't you just get in line and be excited about this? Because now I'm going to break down. When you understand the longitudinal data of the TIFs, when you understand how financing works, and we're going to go through a study called Tale of Two Cities by now Congressman Mike Quigley, but at the time, he was a county commissioner uh, for Cook County, where Chicago is. Now, Richmond is a little weird here because you're like, how are you going to have a city in a county? But we were so racist. We was like, leave all them black folks in the city. We don't, white people going to flee to the county. So we got counties and we got the city. But in Chicago, you got a city in a county. So it's a little weird. But anyways, 
he gives a great idea on what TIFs typically are. And also in the Indiana Policy Review, there was a great article that talked about reconsidering TIFs. And it talks about TIFs ain't exactly what it is. So just like this roommate who pops up and says, yo, if you come up off this money for three years, it's going to multiply. And if you can figure out how to survive without this extra money, I'm going to come back and hit you back. That's exactly what TIF does, right? So TIF, so let's say there are, uh, instead of roommates, we say there are nine districts. So let's say there are like nine districts in Richmond, okay? Um, And so uh, if a TIF is set up within a district, it's just like a roommate because, so instead of a roommate saying this pay is dedicated to whatever, let's say the pay is that there's a district that says, hey, I know for the state, when the state comes at you, so let's say the state is the landlord, Let's say districts are the roommates. And so one roommate, one district comes and says, hey, so I know at the end of the year we owe the state a certain amount of money. But this corporation just said, if I give my portion of the taxes to them, they're going to hit me up with a lot of money so that I can redevelop uh, my district. And what typically happens is that the districts then either there's going to be a lot of cuts in that district or the other districts are going to have to pay. So let me bring this in to the story that we're talking about. So let's say we got nine districts. And so nine districts all pay to um, 100% of what these property taxes are goes towards the tax base. So that when the state comes up and says, hey, as a whole locality, this is what y'all are, y'all owe the state. Um the state either has the money or the state doesn't. So everybody has to balance the budget. So this is the difference, too, that y'all need to understand about local funding. We are not the Fed. It's not, oh, we ran out of money or the value of the dollar isn't what it used to be. We can print more money. Nah, we can't print more money. So when the state rolls up on you and says, y'all need to balance this budget, either y'all got to come up with the money or somebody's got to make cuts, right? So... Uh, Same thing with the recession. When the recession came, a lot of people made cuts to schools to make other things happen. Fortunately, Virginia, we haven't fully been uh, restored back to the pre-recession cut. And so let's in the context of this conversation, let's say that crazy roommate is, let's say, district number nine. District number nine says, well, instead of paying 100 percent of my property taxes to uh, the tax base and whatever and whatever is funded by those taxes, I'm going to take, let's just say. 18% of it for the next couple of years and give it over to and give it over to this new project that's coming. Right. Uh, Y'all got my 82, but the other 18, we're going to, you know, I'm just keep it over here. So that means two types of things that are going to happen. Either the other eight districts have to split that 18% to pay it. So let's say 2.25% for all what for the 18% that came out of district nine. Or each of them have to do a cut of 2% because the state's going to roll up like that landlord and say, hey, uh, it's not my fault. Your man's is out here making deals with corporations and other type of stuff. Y'all need to have this rent paid. So then what typically happens, and Mike quickly talks about this in the report, is that typically there are cuts that are made, typically to schools. We'll get to, we'll talk about some uh, scenarios all across the country where that has been happening or other districts within that locality have to around that locality have to pay in order to replenish um, uh, the tax base and what to do at the end of uh, the year for the state. And so just like that roommate coming in, playing with his money, costs and other people, that's actually what happens to other districts. And so to the point that, for example, in the state of Georgia, localities got tired of it and said, hey, fam, um, if anybody, if any of y'all districts want to start a TIF or any type of thing, other localities got to vote for it because we're going to be the ones who end up paying for it. So that would be like in the story, a law that says. If your roommate says, hey, man, I came home, uh, I got this new deal, I already signed it. The law in Georgia says other roommates can say, nah, fam, you ain't finna do that. We got to have a vote on this. And if they vote nah, 
your roommate, his, that roommate got to go back to their job and say, hey, you know, I tried, but my roommates weren't feeling it. So I'm going to have to pass on that deal. So those are the type of protections that are in place because it typically means tax increases for other districts. So when I'm sitting in meetings and, you know, it was an older gentleman in a, in a city council meeting, the third district meeting. He raises up in the middle of Navy Hill's whole proposal and says, um, hey, man, is this going to cause an increase in my taxes? And they go up there and saying, oh, no, it's not going to cause an increase in taxes. Now, what they're trying to say is it's not going to be any new taxes. Keyword, there will be no new taxes to fund this project. But what they're not telling you is that it's going to cost the city more money to run the city because there's a portion of that going out of the tax base. And when the state runs up on them, they got to balance it. So it's either going to be cuts or it's going to be increases. Right. So it's either increases or it's going to mean cuts. So because of the cuts that have happened and I'll get into a little bit later in the episode, a lot of schools across the nation um, have been trying to get out of these. And a lot of the people that write best practices, including uh David Merriman, he has uh, one of the newer quintessential studies in this, uh, improving tax increment financing. I think he did it at the the, the Lincoln Institute. But he has a suggestion um, that a lot of people have said that school districts should be allowed to opt out of having their portion of property taxes uh, go to these loose projects. So if we we, um, return back to the story of the roommates, so there's a lot there are a lot of laws in place now and Nashville is looking to move towards this as well. I believe Pittsburgh already has it um, where pretty much. So, exa- again, with the roommate, when the roommate comes home and says, hey, I got this big deal with my company, man, we finna be rolling in it, finna triple my pay. But here's the thing. I just got to take, you know, the portion of my paycheck that would go to your rent. I'm going to just give it to them. There's actually a law. Uh, Nashville trying to get this too, where the roommates would have the power to say, hey, man, you know, um, your money's your money. But that 120 that y'all already said y'all going to give to us, we going to have that. And then all the rest of your paycheck you can bet with and have all that other stuff with. But as far as what goes to keeping the lights on and all that type of stuff, nah, you can't give that up, playboy. You don't have to come up off that. Right. So that gives the the school districts the right to be able to say that because school districts have lost so much money over these TIF districts and these tax subsidies, but especially the TIF districts, because uh, as it goes throughout the years, because you're talking about you're frozen at this tax base as you know, appreciation happens and things become more expensive. And if you don't reserve the right to say, well, you know, uh, due to inflation, we're going to adjust for inflation. And then you can take that. Schools are just getting carved out. And that's what we'll call later uh, 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 as there's a term that it refers to it as the eroding tax base. Uh, and so there. So when uh, so one thing that this Navy Hill District Corp in their branding, they're saying not coliseums or schools, coliseums and schools. Uh, and so is it saying that there is no negative repercussions on school districts uh, throughout uh, the, this this program? But here's the problem. There are laws all across the country that says that school districts should have the right to opt out and say, yeah, well, city, you can go play with that. But you'll all give us the portion of property taxes that belongs to schools because we're not going to fund schools at the expense of these things. So it's happening all across the country. And another thing that happened. So remember in the story when we were talking about uh, the landlord calls y'all in and says, hey, due to the um, increase in your roommate's pay, even though y'all not seeing it, uh, y'all don't y'all don't qualify for affordable for affordable housing. Y'all y'all crossed over that threshold. So now y'all got to move up to the market rate. So that was the extra two hundred and ten that y'all had to make up for a month. Well, uh, that in real life is what Baltimore found out and what is they coined a term called artificial wealth because what you wanted what we want to talk about is state funding formulas for schools so states most states are on a um uh, a funding formula that's kind of needs based and it judges a locality's ability to pay it's pretty much how the state looks at a district and says okay you have this this and this so you should be able to give this much to your schools 
one of the main factors that deals with this is the value of the property and the buildings um, in that district because they assume that, oh, okay, well, you're just going to tax these people appropriately and that now y'all don't need this money up front. So just like like affordable housing, if you make a certain amount of money, well, you, you, you'll need this amount of assistance. But if you, once you make above that, I'm sure you actually get that money in your paycheck and you actually see it in real life. And so you won't need this extra cut that affordable housing would be. It's just like that except with state funding formulas. So I think about it in cents and dollars. If your district has um, buildings that are worth cents, C-E-N-T-S, uh, and then another district has ones that are worth dollar signs, balling, you know what I mean? The um, state will say, well, y'all with the dollar signs, y'all just tax these people, take that, give it to your schools, y'all gonna be straight. So we don't take some of the funding that will go to you and we don't give it to these people because they can't tax these broke behind buildings. So we gonna give it to them. But the problem is with this TIF district, because remember when we talked about the example of the nine districts and one gives All the other eight districts give 100%, but one district gives 82%. But there's that little 18% that goes over to the to the um, to this TIF district. What happens with that is that what Baltimore found out is because Baltimore was bought. I mean, hey, you know, I'm from Baltimore. I love y'all, but you know, they had Under Armour come through there. They had a TIF district with that. They had Amazon come through there. Had a TIF district go through that. They got this thing called Port Covington. They had TIF district go through that. And so what happens is, let me tell you, remember, like, remember cents and remember dollars. So they get a bunch of this money to redevelop. And probably you know, most of the development happens within the five year period of this 30 year or 25 year period. And just so something that you know about TIF, just so you know, typically how it's presented is, hey, if you give us this money, the first five you know years, we're going to have all this stuff built. And then after that, we're going to use the tail end of whatever is developed in these increased property values. Property tax are going to use to pay it off. But y'all just have to survive off this frozen base. But at the end, y'all going to get this, all of this money, right? So the problem is, and this is what Baltimore coined the term artificial wealth. Baltimore had all these TIF projects happen. And these cents started turning into dollars. So the state looks at them and says, oh, dang, y'all got Under Armour in there. Oh, dang, y'all got Amazon in there. Okay, well, you don't need all this money from the state. I mean, we can break up Hartford County. We can give it to all these other, some of these more rural areas. But, you know I mean, y'all just holler at Amazon. Y'all holler at Under Armour. Get that money for that property tax. Hit the schools back and y'all going to be straight. So we're going to take this money. At the tune of about taking $50 million a year, right? So Baltimore, but the problem is they can't come up to Under Armour. They can't come up to Amazon because they agreed, well, we, um, y'all don't have to pay taxes on this until 25 years from now. (laughs) And so it created this artificial wealth where you see the property values going but you don't actually get to see it just like in the story with the roommate where he's technically has an increase in income but he's actually making less than he did but now y'all can't afford for the affordable housing so it's like fam like i know what it looks like on paper but we ain't actually seeing that money and that's how they try to holler at the state but the state is like it's not my fault that y'all didn't make sure that y'all could have the appropriate taxes needed to pay for this So they take that money and that's what's called artificial wealth. Now, what happened to Baltimore is that it happened so much and so vast and so many TIF projects that um, the General Assembly had to write them uh, uh, emergency bill to cover three hundred million dollars to hold them over for a certain amount of years while they try and fix the state funding formula because the state funding formula didn't account for this thing called artificial wealth. They just assume that you're making it. If you're not making it, hey, it's a wrap. Um, that's not our fault. Now, there are also other districts. Uh, so, I'll continue with Baltimore. Then I'll talk about what happened in California. So, in Baltimore, uh, so now they're going through something called the Kerwin Commission. K-I-R-W-A-N. The Kerwin Commission is pretty much saying, um, 
hey, man, is there a way that y'all can fix this? Uh, can we get just maybe tax increase in other areas and y'all can shift it over to us to, to hold us over? Because they got that five, that $300 million as a temporary uh, way to just hold them over to make this deal. So they already tried to make a deal and say, hey, man, I know we did this with Under Armour and, you know, with Port Covington and with Amazon, but can y'all help? Can you help a brother out? You know, we, we wouldn't really redefine print like that. So can you help us out? And they said, okay, we got you. We're going to try and do something. But here's the thing. These funded formulas are so intricate that if you change one, it can balloon for another. So then it started looking like places like Hartford County, they see the new what the new bill would be. And they're like, man, you know, y'all going to increase us $75 million a year because Baltimore ain't pay attention to the fine print. Heck nah. So they shut that down, and now they're in this thing called the Curran Commission, which is trying to increase taxes and all these other types of things to kind of make up for it before the funk hits the fan and Baltimore runs out of time because they didn't read the fine print. Here's the problem, though. Even if you do fix it, it's not sustainable. So California, California is actually where TIFF kind of started and was invented. Uh, And so, you know, it was a bad case when the person that invented it ends up stop doing it. It's like if Michael Jackson stopped doing the moonwalk or something, you know what I mean? Like uh so so California saw this a while back, back in maybe 2011. So uh back in 2000, so it's like maybe 2008 2011, California sees the same thing. All these TIF districts are popping up. They're saying, you know, just like the roommate saying, I'm going to take this except that this is from schools and saying, I'm going to take this from schools and we're going to redevelop this and you know, we'll hit you back after 25 years when the money drops. So this happens to a bunch of places. And now the schools are losing all this money. So, you know, California tries to do the right thing and says, yeah, you know what? It is a little messed up that somebody can just make deals of what this money is supposed to go into school. So, you know what? At the state level, we got you, fam. We got you. So if it's just like a landlord, if a landlord in the story was like, yeah, it's got to mess up what your roommate did. So, you know what? I got you. I'm gonna pay for it. These other four tenants that are in the same deal, I got you. I'm gonna pay for it. We'll we'll deal with it when you get the money. But imagine if the landlord had about eight tenants that did this, and he just couldn't afford to eat that without being able to hit the you know pay the mortgage or pay whatever it is that to her to have that. That's what happened in California. So California uh, did this and said like I'm gonna eat this for schools. We down for schools. We love y'all. Problem is, they then started off having a budget deficit in the billions each year. And they said, yo, we can't keep doing this. I love the schools. I love the churn. I love the kids. But see how my bank account works is. Um, So (laughs) California ends up uh, thinking about 2011, 2012 under Governor Jerry Brown. He says like, yo, we can't do this. So guess what? Tiff's. We shutting it down. We're not doing it. I don't care if you're in the middle of it. I don't care what it is. It's not sustainable. We we out of here. We're not doing it. So some of the developers got mad, tried to sue them. The California Supreme Court said, nah, fam, these are schools that do their public property taxes. You can't just take that and play with it without them even having consent in, in, in doing it. It's different if they said, yeah, you can go ahead and do it. But they didn't even they didn't even make that agreement. So nah, they right. We ain't doing this anymore. So they outlawed it in 2011 or in 2012. Uh, now, they try to revamp it in a different way under new name. You can only do it for, like, public infrastructure, things like that. But generally, that form of it for arenas and all other type of crazy stuff, outlawed. Uh, and so now Maryland is now in this same situation. And Maryland is now saying, like, okay, well, with the current commission... Well, we, we might not get the money like that. So we got to be able to find a way to get this money back. So they're cutting out tax. Uh, the Speaker of the House, uh, Adrian Jones, I believe her name is, is looking at cutting out tax enterprise zones. They're looking at cutting out, um, uh, I think the Maryland Center for Fiscal Analysis is also um, had a report um, that was talking about um, building our future, I think it's called. Hold on. Let me let me get it right. Yeah. Building our future. The Maryland Center on Economic Policy, uh, by the name of Christopher Meyer, uh, they actually present a plan where a part of that is on how they're going to make up for this money that was lost is cutting these tax subsidies and these tax loopholes and all this TIF and corporate, you know, uh, 
corporate uh, enterprise tax zones and all these other types of uh, things, payment in lieu of taxes, all these other types of tax subsidies. It's not sustainable at the state level. It's not sustainable at the local level. Um, and it's costing schools so much that in their school budget, on how to, how to, you know, a revenue plan for world-class schools, they're talking about cutting out these types of things that we're trying to bring to Richmond. So when I find out all of these types of things, you know, um, I don't want it to be like the, I don't want Richmond to be like the roommate that's hard up because somebody took their money and proposed this. I don't want Richmond public schools to go through that for the first time in like <coughs> four decades. We finally got fully funded last year. So I was on the front lines to really try and get um, that pushed through when there were super great programs that were cut. People that worked in getting kids and fight, you know, uh, working on a truancy and like I try to get kids in schools who are maybe not have the structure at home to make sure they're all right. Make sure they're there. A lot of that stuff had to get cut, like crucial things. Uh, one of my one of my friends has a has a program that was almost on the cutting board because of that. And now we're trying to, you know, fix urban renewal with urban renewal <laughs> and uh it's the same thing. So I'm reading all this research. I'm saying like, okay, well, did they, uh, do we have an artificial wealth situation? Have they thought about, and here are the local composite index is what it would be called, but it's like the state funding formula type of similar situation in Maryland. So I'm saying, okay, have we even, even considered these types of things? Uh, another portion of that is, for example, did we reserve the right to adjust for inflation so that the amount that we don't pay is doesn't increase more and more, right? So it's like the the like the roommate. So imagine instead of it being hundred twenty dollars a month, like over time the company takes more and more money from him. Uh, so I'm like, are we are we in that type of situation? So I do the research. I have all these things. I give the longitudinal reports. You know, I get I write a letter saying, hey, this is what I'm concerned about, and I talk to Mayor Stoney. Um, so I talk to Mayor Stoney. Uh, and his chief of staff, and I'm sitting, I'm sitting in the office with him, and I'm like, y'all, man, um, look, I'm from Baltimore. I know what's going on there. I would hate to see it happen here. And so I'm saying, hey, uh, are we, uh, do, do you know how this is going to affect the state funding formula? And they're saying like, oh, uh, mm, I didn't think about that and saying like, oh, yeah, well, that's, that's, that's what we call the process of equalization, right, Lincoln? Right, what he calls, I shouldn't call my name. Anyway, he calls his chief of staff like, yeah, isn't this what uh what happened in the process of equalization? And it's like, uh, no, nah, that's not going to change the fact for you not reserving uh, the inflation base because then you're going to be giving more and more and going to have more for it. It's going to be an eroding tax base. It means it's going to be more that the city has to pay for because you're surrendering more and more of your money and, and the profit of what would happen off of appreciation to this TIF project anyway. So, no, nah, that's not it, man. So I'm talking about, well, what about the state funding formula? If y'all thought about that, and it's like, oh, well, we haven't run the numbers. Uh, well, you know, we, we don't get funded the way we should anyway. And, you know, we, the mills taxes. And this is like, so y'all telling me because, you know, we're already underfunded, it doesn't matter? That's, that's for real your answer right now? And so <clears throat> they don't have answers for it, uh, but they did not factor those basic things in. Uh, so then I go to the uh, director of economic development. They have a they have a meeting. And so they have a director of economic development and uh, the lawyers who are reading through the documents and all the other types of people. So I then ask them, yo, did y'all reserve for inflation so that we don't have. So we're not having a rodent tax base every year. And they uh, 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 I think that's in the numbers. I think it's there. And it's like, no, fam, that's not what the numbers are. Those numbers are the added cost for, for example, like if more kids start going to schools in that area. This will be the added cost was. That's not what that is. Then I talk about the state composite index. They're like, oh, well, we haven't uh, factored that in. We don't know. But they're running around telling everybody coliseums and schools. It's not going to be a harm. It's not going to be this. So I have a friend who uh, generated a number and they even, you know, the city came back because they didn't like how it sounded and said, well, actually, we'll be closer to this. And finds out now, the city has to do the official numbers, but the analysis, which is the closest thing we have to what we can do with the information we have as, as, as uh, not administrators of the city, is that it's going to cost uh, this project, due to the artificial wealth, 
would cost Richmond Public Schools $3.8 million a year to about the tune of about $96 million over the life of the project. Now, we sitting up here saying, hey, man, see what happened in Baltimore. You see all these districts. You see what Nashville's trying to do, trying to say, can can the school district opt out? You see um, the eroding tax base that's in all the longitudinal data that you want to talk about, right? From Quigley to uh, David Merriman to, to um, uh, uh, T. William Lester out of North Carolina to to um, the Indiana Policy Review, uh, Randall O'Toole from the Cato Institute, you know, like anywhere you go, these are the main things that talk about how a city gets hustled. And y'all haven't done the research on it, or you have, and you just want to give that over to these corporations in order to do it at the expense of schools for the next three decades. So, uh, we're probably going to have to break this down into multiple uh, <laughs> episodes because there's so much about this project that I can rant about for like into eternity. But I'm just, for right now, we're just helping you understand why I have been dedicated to this project. Why, despite it being, you know, a black mayor and people using the name of Navy Hill and all these other type things and talking about jobs and the longitudinal data talks about those jobs typically aren't, you know, for the people uh, because it's not a local agreement or a community benefits agreement or a labor agreement that goes into it. Um, and just like and so remember in the story when we're talking about the person says the roommate says, well, at the end of this, I'm going to hit you back with this money and it's going to be worth it. Well, here's a couple of things. Even if that were the case. A lot of the longitudinal data says that the amount of money that's lost due to the state funding formula and the artificial wealth and not uh, adjusting for inflation, typically the money that drops at the end is not enough to make up for what was lost. So it's like somebody saying, saying like, hey, man, um, you're going to lose $80,000, but at the end, I'm going to hit you back with sixty. Fam, I still lost $20,000, right? So... <laughs> So um, this is the kind of situation it is. But here's the problem. I'm sitting up in there. And so they're talking about this slide. Why is Navy Hill good for Richmond? Well, at the end of this, we're going to give a certain percentage. First, they started saying numbers, right? We're going to give $500 million back to schools. We're going to give this much over to poverty alleviation. Over here to arts and district. Over here to public infrastructure. All these types of things. When you actually read the documents, it clearly states uh, there's a charter that says that one city council can't bind the hands and make financial decisions for a future city council. Because we talking, remember, we talking about over 30 years. Nobody in city council is going to be over here in 30 years. The mayor isn't going to be here in 30 years. The superintendent isn't going to be here in 30 years. But somehow they're agreeing that somehow in the future, they're going to make this agreement to drop this money. Except there are laws that says you can't do it. So we don't even have a agreement. So we pretty have a handshake that says, yeah, we're going to defund school and make it harder for y'all to survive the, this 30 years. But trust me, at the end, it's going to happen. How? How, Sway? It's not a law that says you can put it into, into demands. You have people saying, oh, yeah, when we, when we, uh, when we uh, start building, we're going to uh, get, make sure residents get these jobs and all these other things. How, Sway? Oh, well, because as the mayor's office, we, we bargained for it. You bargain for to get jobs in the next 30 years, you're not going to be here. Do we have a community benefits agreement? Because the community benefits agreement or a community labor agreement says between the workers or between the community, the, the corporations are held responsible for them because the under, fundamental understanding is the mayor ain't going to be here, but the community is. So if the, if LeVar Stoney leaves or goes to work for somebody or runs for a higher office, and he's not here to in that position to make that. What good is that promise? It's going to be just like the roommate who said, oh, well, it didn't work like it did. So I can't cut you off as much as I want to. And they're running around here giving numbers, only giving numbers. But what would happen? A hundred percent perfection. Like if everything goes as planned, I don't know anything in my life. that went a hundred percent as planned. Um, and so 
and then if they're giving the numbers of if it breaks even, we're only talking about a difference of four hundred thousand dollars each year. Except you would have created this artificial wealth situation. You would have failed to reserve the tax base for inflation. So you have all these people, you know, crawling and scratching and just like, you know, uh, in the story, you know, you cutting off Netflix. You ain't getting this. You can't send money home. All this other stuff. But except for three years, this would be 30 years. You got all these people struggling through all this stuff, and at the end, you're going to say, yo, but you you got $400,000 more a year than what you had. Fam, you know how much I lost? When I lost $96 million over the life of this, and at the end of this, you're going to give me $400,000 extra a year? What in the world is that? But they're not having open discussions about this. We got people who are saying, yo, run the numbers. Y'all have the numbers. Y'all have the capacity to do this. Why don't y'all just run the numbers and tell us that we wrong? Or why don't you run the but what but guess what? Because if you run them numbers, you can't run around talking about coliseums and schools. You when you run them numbers, you can't talk about balancing the budget that oh it won't cost you any more in taxes because it messes up your narrative. And so when I talk this like Navy Hill, Navy Chill, this ain't it. That's what I'm talking about. It is a historical to the longitudinal data, man. You, you, you see somebody, uh, the guy Hunden, comes up at the city council and says, oh, yeah, TIFs are great, are safe. Uh, they work for communities and they're self-policing. When all the longitudinal data says they're not it and tells you that unless you have these safeguards in place, you finna get hustled. So, um, and we talking about a three-decade hustle. We talking about... Uh, who is set up to thrive during these um, three decades and after that, and we're doubling down on a on a failed horse. This is the same promises in 1971. Talking about the college, we're gonna do this. We're gonna revitalize downtown. We're gonna have all these other types of things. Where are they at though? It's losing two million dollars. It's also like I think it's cost the, the city like a million dollars a year to like not. Just the way that the Coliseum was. So why are we doubling down on a losing horse? And betting more. Betting our schools. Uh, betting uh, public funding. For all of these things. Uh, and the numbers just don't add up. And people are not having a process that allows uh, voices who differ to be able to do that. So... I know it's been a lot right now. So this is just this is just like an overview. Think of like we're about to do the deep dive, but this is just an overview of things of why you should be paying attention to this project, why you should be writing your city council people, why you should be saying at least run the numbers or at least put in the safeguards that the longitudinal data talks about. Uh, and then we can talk about just the shady people around it. Right. We got people's uh people uh with nepotism and the chief administrative officer and then on the other side of the table is her nephew and we just had to have this huge expose to 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 to, to talk about that we got uh people ghost writing uh this NH district court ghost writing and, and sending it to to uh university presidents to make it seem like it's them when really it's just you know um uh the NH district court writing writing on behalf of this and making it look like it is other people. Then you get into even like who in the world is the NH district court? I mean, and coming in and saying they want to save this black neighborhood, but you know, the, the chief executive uh, officer who would be like actually, uh, uh, um, um, overseeing the, the process and the business dealings a guy named CT Hill back in, uh, I think it was 2012. Um, he got found out, by the uh, Obama uh, Justice Department, sorry, 2014, the Obama Justice Department uh, found out that under his, the Mid-Atlantic region uh, for uh, credit cards and mortgages, that they were charging a racially discriminatory tax to black people uh, who had the same credit scores as other, as as their white counterparts, but they got this racially discriminatory tax Um and this happened at least like 2005 to 2009. And like, uh, uh, and so they settled and paid $20 million. And their agreement was, we're going to pay this money back and we're going to make some internal changes. That was the agreement. And in May is when they announced that. And guess who, guess who just happened to resign in February, who was 
head over this whole department. C.T. Hill. You don't believe me? Believe the Department of Justice. And now this person who charged black people a, a, a <laughs> discriminatory rate to start their own black neighborhoods is going to stand up and uh, say, he's as he said in that op-ed, that I'm a social justice advocate as myself, right? Um, uh, when he charged the discriminatory rate for black people, um, to start their own neighborhood, somehow he gonna, he's going to honor the legacy of another one. Man, and that's just the tip of it, man. You understand what Dominion is doing with uh, in Union Hill and Buckingham County and leaving off slave cemeteries um, uh, in their in their reports to FERC because if, if something like that is, is approved, then you won't get the permit for it. So they just leave it out, um, displacing black farmers from their own land. Uh, and now you're going to be the superhero for black people suddenly. I think not. So, uh, but there's so much to talk about. We can talk about the people. We can talk about the process. We can talk about uh, the so-called profits. Um, there's so much that we can get into. So, just want to say, keep stay tuned. We're going to have a series around this as this picks up because we have about 90 days to raise the awareness of the people. And so, I just want to let you all know uh, the history of, of, of that and... Um, one thing also that I found intriguing, and we'll get the history lesson in a future episode too about um, urban renewal, um, uh, is that there is an article by a professor uh, that talks about uh, the links between uh, the links between uh, the historical roots of tax increment financing and. Uh, and and how that kept urban renewal alive. So when you think about urban urban renewal, one of the main things was uh, displacement of housing, right? And uh, the, you can read more about that in the Color of Law. I'm pretty sure it's also in when affirmative action was white. It was pretty much talks about setting up tenements or public or public housing for you know uh, for for white people. And Dr. King talks about this in '68 when he talks about. Um, we're coming when we go to Washington, we're coming to get our check because uh, the white immigrant America was willing to give a, a financial foundation uh, to um, its white immigrants and farm grants and land and all the other types of things. Uh, but when it came to black people, it was not willing to do that. And so it talks about what ha- what what changed when. These white people left these projects and these project housing and these tenants now were occupied by black people and how urban renewal said, oh, well, it's blighted. We're going to entitle one. We're going to clear out these blighted projects and that the 12 year delay in rebuilding them and then title three, you know, coming through and 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 um, uh, having a disparate uh, effect on black people because now people not they they built less than they actually replaced. And so we can talk about the, we're going to get into also this RRHA uh, local uh, fight where they're not trying to do one-to-one replacement and why that is important and why the voucher system leaves people uh, and how this is, how I believe that's also connected and it's probably the pathway forward that they keep talking about in these NH district court meetings. Uh, but there's an interesting quote uh, by David Haig um, uh, and it talks about the historical antecedents of tax increment finances. It says, urban renewal is not dead, but alive and trying to get well. The use of local initiative through the use of tax increment financing will do much to speed the healing process. So all this thing that's wrapped up in, 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 in the scriptures, it talks about um, in the book of Ezekiel, Dig Behind the Wall, where there were these people who were saying they're about this one thing, and it was this great public display of oh yeah we're righteous we're about it we're cool but when you actually looked behind the wall and actually dug behind what they were doing they were actually about something far more sinister and about something else um and and there's also a story uh when um the ki- the children of israel as, as my friends at rva dirt we say i'm going old testament <laughs> i need a shirt that says going ot or something like that that od on the ot i don't know um but <laughs> It's it's a scripture that talks about Israel didn't want God as their king, and they wanted a king, a human king, just like every other nation around them. And God tells them like, "Yo, okay, so if that's what y'all want, um, 
y'all can go ahead and do this, but the consequences are going to be bad. And so they they didn't care what the consequences were because they wanted what they wanted. Uh, and there's in the, in this story, it also talks about like the confirmation bias and how um, consultants and all these other types of people, once they see a trend, they just want to be like other cities. And so like the main thing is that, well, we want to call it CM because Richmond wants to be like other cities. But Richmond has a rich history that other cities don't have. So instead of building on our strengths, building on what we have, just like the children of Israel, we just want to be like everybody else. And we're going to, you know, and the mayor and the NH district and all of their goonies. <laughs> I always say all of them are goonies. Some of them just probably don't have the information. But for those who know and are still trying to do this anyway, um, are trying to ram this through because they just want to be like other cities. While other cities, even a professional sports team, like there's a reason why Golden State Warriors aren't there anymore. There's a reason why the Chargers aren't there anymore because all of these tax subsidies and these TIF districts and these things that have been aren't really benefiting the economies of the places around them. And so these economies are literally vomiting these places out these these arenas out of there because they're just sapping up and capturing the profit of this of this place anyway. Uh, and so we'll we'll get to that when we're talking about um, uh, the people, the process, the profits. We're going to do probably three episodes on each of those because they're so so just crazy that it's enough to have an episode on each of them. But right now, when we're talking about the consequences of the Coliseum, we can't be like the children of Israel. We're saying, well, this city has, well, look at Nashville, look at Memphis, look at all these other types of things. When you have Nashville trying to protect their schools from these types of things. Um, and right now, instead of looking into our rich history and seeing that, you know, as I believe, Richmond has a future in history, we just want to be like any other place so we're trying to bring in this cookie cutter thing that doesn't fit our city but because the corporations and the shadow money want this to happen they're trying to ram it through but we're the ones that are going to have to live with the consequences of it so uh i've 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 probably spoken long enough but uh this is just like an overview so i just want you all if you all just want to know like how how can i explain what this is just remember this is the roommate coming in saying hey we're gonna give this money but it's money that's supposed to go to y'all to support y'all to this magic thing that's going to happen. And if it works out, I may or may not. But if it doesn't work out, you're going to be left with the bag and I'm going to be safe and this corporation going to be safe. That's Mayor Stoney in this project and the NH District Corp. And we're the roommates. And I'm trying to save us or at least put up some safeguards so that we do not have to struggle while they're getting the financial base um, that Dr. King talked about, but that they're not trying to give to um black communities um so this has been season two episode four maybe chill this ain't it fam consequences of the color um man i didn't do a do better baby so i'm gonna dedicate <laughs> i'm gonna dedicate uh the do better baby to the uh mayor stoney's administration because it's been uh it's been rough man we out here putting people ghost wrote op-eds on independent commissions we got people uh hiring uh day cousin and auntie and them and and on the other and negotiating uh 1.5 billion dollar deals with them uh we're not running numbers we're not doing our due diligence on something that's gonna affect our city for the next three decades do better, baby. Um, and with that, I say, um, thank you for listening. Stay tuned. Um, it's going to be a lot of good um, content coming forward. I believe um, my friend Chelsea at Race Capital is going to be doing a great episode on this coming up as well. If you want to know uh, the playbook that Dominion has been playing on Union Hill and how to just see how they're really impacting black communities in a negative way, be sure to stay tuned to that too. Should be dropping uh, sometime this week. So check them out as well. Always check out my friends RBA Dirt as well. Uh, but you tuned into a difference of thought. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned. We're going to keep um, this process going. Stay tuned. Stay alert. First Navy Hill. Um, public meeting is going to be this Saturday at 9 a.m. Be sure to look at um, city council for where those locations are going to be. Until then, that's where I've been. That's where I'm going to be trying to save us from the consequences of the Coliseum. This has been 
uh, Season 2, Episode 4 of A Difference in Thought. I'm your host, Charlie Ray. And as always, I love you. I love you. That's why I'm here. Peace.